0: Well, good morning again. Uh, Great to be with you this morning. Uh, I just wanted to say another time how just blessed and welcomed um, we have felt as a family coming here into this church. And uh, something that's been great is just many of you are coming up to us and uh, out in public or here and just recognizing us and introducing yourself to us again and again. Uh, it's just been so helpful and such a great uh, way to feel the love of the church. And so please keep coming up to us and reminding us of your name. We really want to know all the names and people and stories. Uh, we're really looking forward to getting to know you. So please keep doing that. And um, we really are looking forward to continuing in the life of this body. This morning, we're wrapping up our series, our four-week series on the Lord's Prayer, looking at the final two uh, petitions. And I hope, you know, for me, it's just been this great kind of reminder of uh, how important prayer is and how accessible God is in prayer. And uh, so we're gonna, uh, I'll read the passage again. And, uh, you know, we're gonna do that thing where we read the Lord's Prayer corporately, But we're going to read the version from Matthew 6, which doesn't have that final uh, clause that we normally uh, say when we say the Lord's Prayer. And just so you know, I hope maybe you noticed in the Old Testament reading uh, from 1 Chronicles uh, that, you know, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory is a paraphrase of that uh, passage in 1 Chronicles. So it is scriptural. And it seems to be old. The church has been saying this for a long time, so it's good that we say it. It's just not in this version that we have in Matthew. So uh, let me read our passage for us this morning, and we'll uh, recite the Lord's Prayer together in it. Uh, is, uh, from Matthew 6. It says, when, And when you pray, do not keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The Gospel of the Lord. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Let me pray for us again. Uh, Father, as we come out of this word, your word, we pray that you would meet us in the midst of it, uh, our lives, and we come from just many places this morning. Some of us eager to hear your word, and some of us honestly worn out or not, maybe wondering uh, what we even think of all this. Uh, We pray that no matter who we are, where we come from this morning, that you would meet us there with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, One of my favorite movies of all time, is the classic Goodwill Hunting. I think it's from 1997. It's got a young Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, uh, Oscar-winning movie, this amazing story. It's the story of Will, played by Matt Damon, and Will is a genius. Uh, he is like off the charts, the kind of genius that just reads a book and remembers everything in it for the rest of his life, and he reads and reads and reads. Uh, but at the same time, he's got this really kind of rough, life. He comes from a rough neighborhood. His story is very broken, and he ends up in trouble with the law, and he's assigned to go to therapy by the court, and he ends up going to therapy uh, with a therapist named Sean, played by Robin Williams, and they just form this amazing relationship. And uh, their first meeting, though, is pretty rough. Uh, Will shows up in uh, Sean's office, and just being a real like really arrogant, and he sees this painting on the wall in Sean's office, and he just starts uh, making fun of it, saying how bad it is, and Sean reveals, well, I actually painted that painting, He's he says, well, it's really horrible, and this is why, and he tells them all like the color theory around like why it's so bad, because he's a genius, and he's read all these books on art, and so he knows, and so it doesn't go so well, and then they have a second meeting, uh, it's at the public garden in Boston, and they're sitting on a bench looking at the pond, watching the ducks go by. And this is what Sean says, Robin Williams. He says, thought about what you said to me the other day about my painting. stayed up half the night thinking about it. Something occurred to me, and I fell into a deep sleep and haven't thought about you since. You know what occurred to me? You're just a kid. You don't have the faintest idea what you're talking about. Will says, why, thank you. And Sean says, it's all right, you've never been out of Boston. So if I ask you about art, you'd probably give me the skinny on every art book ever written. Michelangelo, you know a lot about him. Life's work, political aspirations, him and the Pope, the whole works, right? But I bet you can't tell me what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. You've never actually stood there and looked up at that beautiful ceiling. Seen that? He goes on. He says, you're a tough kid. And I'd ask you about war, you'd probably throw Shakespeare at it, right? Once more into the breach, dear friends. But you've never been near one. You've never held your best friend's head in your lap, watching him gasp his last breath, looking to you for help. He goes on and on through every area of life to show Will that you can know a lot and really know nothing at all, right? Isn't that the point? Like you can read a lot of books, and know a lot of things and still know nothing at all. And what I want to suggest to us this morning as we think about the Lord's Prayers, you can know a lot about God and be around God's stuff a lot and really be very far from the kind of relationship with God that was intended. Uh, you can spend a lifetime around the church and the Bible and still not be drawn into the depths of fellowship with God. You can even be a pastor and just really not know anything at all. And that would be if you don't pray. Uh, you can be a Christian, an actual Christian, and just not really pray much, and that would just be to be missing out greatly on all the wonder of what God intended uh, in terms of how he wants to be known, what we were made for. Um, I remember a while back, I was around another pastor, kind of like a more seasoned pastor, A lot of experience, and uh, somehow we were, I think we were talking about funerals or something, and he kind of scoffed at the idea of how often he has heard that old-timey hymn in the garden, and he just rolled his eyes out of it as if it was this, you know that one, and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own, and apparently that's a pretty common funeral song, and I remember thinking as he did that, I was thinking, You know, it's kind of like exactly the biblical portrait, though, of what we were made from, right? Like in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve are hiding because of their sin, it says that God was walking through the garden in the cool of the day. And the implication is that, like, that's what they did. They were close with God. Uh, The picture the Bible gives is walking, talking, spending the day together. Uh, There's a closeness with God that we were... Meant to have, and you can have it, you can taste it now through prayer. Um, a life of prayer is how you go from knowing a lot about Michelangelo to staring at the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. And if you don't pray much, it's all right, but it means you're not close to knowing the depths of what you were meant to know. Uh, we really see the depth and the goodness of life with God in these closing petitions of the Lord's Prayer. So uh, as we look at it, I want us to think about three things. I want us to think about the holiness of God, connection with the holy God, and life with the holy God. So first of all, the holiness of God. Uh, it's one of the basic truths, uh, the basic tenets of the Christian faith, that God is holy and we live in his world, right? And so what it means to be holy is, uh, it, the word literally means set apart. So in the Bible, where you see it first is Where God in books like Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers starts saying, like, hey, you know, this over here, this object is holy. These instruments for the temple, they're holy to the Lord. Or these people, uh, my people are holy. Or the firstborn is holy. Or this animal is holy. Or this place is holy. And it's God saying, I'm setting it apart for my purposes. So there's this room in the tabernacle uh, and the temple that's called the Holy of Holies. And you don't I'm just setting it apart. You don't just walk in there and do whatever you want. In fact, only one person better walk in there. And he better wash himself a bunch of times. Because I am saying that it's holy. So it means that God sets it apart. And the only exception to that would be God himself. God is set apart in and of himself. His own being sets himself apart. Things like his power his beauty, his goodness, his moral purity. He has set it apart in and of himself by his being and character, which is why it's a big deal when we fail to care or fail to notice and do whatever we feel like in this world, when we do whatever seems right, us. And that's what the Bible calls sin. And a good picture of it is, you know, if you think of it in those terms, it's like vandalism. It's taking the way things are supposed to be and paying no attention to the Holy God and instead doing what we think is right. And in the Bible, it talks about how that creates a debt. Uh, It's this debt that can't just go away. We sin in God's world. Uh, I want to, th- to think for a minute about one of the most infamous sins uh, that we know about—the sin of David and Bathsheba. If you remember that one, Second Samuel chapter eleven—that's uh, the story. You know, David is finally established as king, and everything is going well. And then one day, he sees Bathsheba on the roof, and he thinks, "Well, I got to have that." And so, he just takes Bathsheba as his wife, even though she happens to be the wife of his best, like, one of his best. And he just takes her, though, and she gets pregnant. And if that wasn't bad enough, uh, David decides he's going to cover it up. And the problem is Uriah is too good of a guy, too loyal of a guy for the cover-up to work. And so David kills Uriah, one of his best men. And if that wasn't bad enough, David doesn't even feel bad about it until God's prophet Nathan confronts him. And finally, David... uh, (laughs) <laughs> comes face-to-face face with the evil of all that he's done, and in response, in repentance, he pens Psalm 51, uh, have mercy, have, be merciful to me, O God. And in verse 4 of Psalm 51, he says something interesting. He says, against you, he's talking to God, he says, against you, you only have I sinned. And when I read that, I kind of think, you know, David, I think you kind of sinned against, like, I don't know, Uriah, Bathsheba, all of Israel. But what's the point that he's making? The point that he's making is that, like, he obviously sinned massively against those people, and but the offense against a holy God makes all those other offenses seem like nothing. That's what holiness is about. Okay? Sinning against a holy God in his world is a big offense to him. And so I wonder just do we ever stop and consider the holiness of this god do we ever stop and consider that he is holy and we live in his world uh, so that's the holiness of god but i want something now about then connection with the holy god uh, if he's that holy how do we connect and in our the lord's prayer it says uh, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and uh, i don't know about for you but for me some questions arise when i read that and the first one is I thought Jesus already paid our debts. Like, isn't that what we celebrate every Sunday? Uh, Don't we proclaim the gospel? Don't we proclaim that uh, on the cross, Jesus cried out, it is finished, and he meant it, which means that all of our sin, past, present, and future, is paid for at the cross. And that's true, that's the gospel. Our sin is already dealt with, hallelujah, it's true. So why do we pray then? week after week, day after day, forgive us our debts. And I want to suggest to you this, now we pray that because that's how every good relationship works. Like in all the best relationships, the best marriage, the best friendship, isn't it all forgiven already? But we still apologize, right? Think of the best relationships you have. the best relationships, like we spend a lot of time together. And there's a lot of opportunity for our sin to come out, and it does. And you know, sometimes we might, uh, you know, someone might sin against us and we, don't, we kind of move on. We don't hold it against them. You know, it's a good friend, it's our spouse, we understand, like they're having a bad day, whatever, and they, they sin against us, they say something unkind, and we just forget about it, and then maybe like a day goes by. Have you ever had this happen where someone apologizes for something that they didn't really need to apologize for? It was already forgiven? They say, hey, you know, yesterday when we were talking, I said this thing, and it was pretty unkind and I'm sorry. What does that do for you And that? Isn't that the best? Like, and it's what you say, of course it's for you. it was already forgiven, but thank you. Like, isn't that fuel for your relationship with that person? Uh, and amazingly, God is like that with us. It's already forgiven, and yet it's fuel for the relationship. Or think about think about like bigger offenses. You know, think about like uh, you know, this isn't just that thing in passing, it's like a big offense, and uh, I don't know if you're like me, but I kind of avoid those conversations if I can. Fear of conflict, my pride can't handle it. You know, I'm gonna, I know I'm gonna have to apologize for something big, or we're gonna have to have this conversation where, like, there's gonna be a lot of apologizing, and it's gonna be hard, and I don't know if you've ever had one of those conversations in your marriage, or in a friendship, or parent to child, or something like that. But uh, as much as we might kind of be fearful of entering entering into that conversation, when it's over, when you've talked it out, when there's been apologizing and forgiving and understanding and kind of really connecting. Isn't that kind of fuel cool for the relationship? Don't you walk away thinking, like, wow, I'm actually kind of glad we talked about what was real instead of just like going through the day-to-day, like, this is how my day went, this is how your day went, okay? That's it. Okay. Um, those are the conversations that feed the relationship, and that is what God invites us to do with Him. You know, we're to confess our sin to God. Often, not because we might not be forgiven, or it's already forgiven, but because that's just how you nurture any good relationship, which is amazing. It's saying something amazing about our relationship with God. This holy God is knowable. We can relate to him like the best spouse or a best friend. We can experience true relational connection. And isn't that what we all long for? Like, isn't that the problem in our world is that we're disconnected? We feel aimless. We feel like we're alone. So I want to invite you uh, into this depth. You know, this depth that if we knew it, it would captivate us to think about God in these personal terms and confess your sin regularly. Pray the Lord's Prayer regularly. You could pray generally to uh, forgive our sins or list out specific sins that you want to lay out before the Lord. Uh, Not groveling, not. You know, thinking maybe I need to earn his forgiveness, but just honestly laying out our shortcomings uh, because this is how we connect. Uh, I'll just say as a side note, if you're running out of sins to confess, it certainly means you're not looking hard enough. Just ask a family member, they'll tell you. Um, this is how we grow, though. Uh, By beginning to see our sins for what they are, to be formed by this prayer that invites us to confess sin and think, okay, well, what do I need to confess? And maybe beginning to turn away from those sins as we see them more, uh, as we begin to see how they're disrupting our relationship with our Father. And just, you know, what's the test of knowing our forgiveness? Uh, What's the test of our connection to God? Uh, the text says it as we forgive our debtors Uh, if you can forgive uh, after the lord's prayer in matthew's gospel it says the same thing it says Mm -hmm. it connects um, knowing god's forgiveness to whether or not you can forgive the people around you. you know not enabling people that are harming you obviously but being quick to forgive forgiving freely knowing how much you have been forgiven so that's a connection with the Holy God. But I want us to close and think about life with the Holy God. So this is how we connect. This is the roots of connection. But I want us to think about life with the Holy God and what life is meant to be like. And in this final petition in the Lord's Prayer, it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And like the other one, that raises some questions in my mind too. Like, first of all, we uh, I thought God didn't tempt anyone. He doesn't. God does not tempt, the Bible says that clearly. And the Bible also says that he sometimes uses testing for our good. And it says that he promises to hold us to the end. That he'll, for those who belong to him, he'll never fully and finally let us go. And so I want us to think about, well then, what does this prayer, what is it saying? What does it mean? And what it's saying is that prayer, prayer brings us into reality. Okay, We live in the reality that the world is And only God can deliver us from evil without and evil within. Because there are all kinds of situations that might come up that might put me on a path where I might begin to then forget that I live in the presence of a holy God. And forget uh, that God loves me and then start to love other things and go down this path that will ultimately be very bad for me and for the people around me. There there will be distance between me and God on this path. And so it's a prayer to not even go near the path. Uh, Because, you know, we live in this time between the times, right? Satan has been defeated at the cross. It is finished. But we actually believe that Satan is a real person. He is someone who wants to make us miserable. We don't need to think about them all the time or anything like that, but there is a reality of evil in this world and that there is someone named Satan who really wants us to question whether God is good. To really start to flirt with going down whatever path. Uh, So much so that Jesus says to his disciples, he says, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Because it's so much better to just have unbroken fellowship with God Closer we can stay to God, the better. Uh, My kids are a little older now. Uh, Asher's in kindergarten, and Margo is in third grade, but uh, the days aren't too far behind where we would experiment with, you know, like, hey, you wanna try riding on Daddy's shoulders? You know, for the first time, and it's a little scary when you're like a two-year-old or a one-year-old, and you get up on Daddy's shoulders. And I can remember my kids saying things like, Daddy, don't drop me! You know, they get up high, and, Daddy, don't drop me. And, you know, Think about the kid on the shoulder saying, Daddy, don't drop me. It's not really expressing distrust so much as it's expressing, Daddy, like you're my only hope in this situation, and I am feeling it. You're my only hope. And I gotta tell you, as a dad, I kind of love that. Like as a dad, isn't that the best when your kid says, Daddy, don't drop me? And in that moment, aren't we connected? in a really special way, okay? And the Lord's Prayer is inviting us into that kind of relationship with our Father. We can have that kind of relationship. Father, don't drop me. What a beautiful prayer. A prayer that we should be saying all the time. Father, keep me close. Just keep me close. Don't let me go down any of those paths. Father, watch over me. All those are wonderful prayers. And of course, he will. But praying it draws us into this reality. It protects us from presumption It protects us from forgetting that there's a God who's with us, and it protects us ultimately from falling into disconnection. Living a life that may be good in other respects, but is far from the depth of connection we were meant to have with God. And so, leading us us not into temptation to deliver us from evil is not saying God might tempt us or that he ultimately might forsake us, but it is a way of reiterating that he's our only hope. That our lives will fall into complete and utter ruin without him. So, why do we pray this prayer that we may be kept from evil? Because it's a prayer to remain connected. Because there's just nothing better than connection with this holy God. You can be a Christian and spend a lot of your days pretty disconnected, right? Haven't we all lived that where we like a month goes by and we think, like, man, I barely thought about God in the last month? And no matter what else you have going on, and no matter what other good things are in your life, they will they, you will not be living the good life if you're mm-hmm. disconnected from this God. Uh, and Jesus is the model, right? Isn't that what Brent said on day one of this series? He said, Jesus spent like all the time, he was always going off to pray. He needed to go off and pray. He prayed all the time, and he had wonderful communion with his Father, with one exception. On the cross on the cross jesus lost it all on the cross the cross is a picture of what happens when you go down the path and then you get lost forever when you're completely disconnected from the father now listen to what one scholar donald mcleod a new testament scholar writes and keep in mind this isn't a pastor this is a scholar this is what he writes about the cross he says as jesus hangs on the cross bleeding, battered, powerless, and forsaken The last thing he looks like is God. Indeed, he scarcely looks human. He looks like nothing but a hell-bound, hell-deserving derelict. Because on the cross, in order to connect us, Jesus had to be completely disconnected. That's what it looked like. Jesus lost connection to the Father so we could have it, so we could come to the Father knowing it's already forgiven. He's definitely not going to forsake me. Because God loves you like the best father loves his child. God loves you like the best husband loves his wife because God made us for himself. To be known and loved and connected and cherished the way we all long to be. Uh, to talk with him like he's actually there, like he actually cares, like he actually loves us in the way we've always longed to be loved. Uh, and I'll just say, if you're not someone who craves much, that's okay. Start praying now. Just pray, you know. Or if you if you don't pray, if you pray less than you think you should, just pray a little more. You know, because isn't is that how you build a relationship with someone? You don't go from like barely talking to them to spending every moment of every day with them, right? You kind of build toward that. And so I want to invite you, you know, what if we all just prayed a little more than we normally do? What would that do in our lives? What would that do in the church if we all just prayed, you know, or tried to remind ourselves a little more that God's personal. He cares, he's there, uh, we can talk to him. What would it do uh, in our lives? We were just a little more connected to God. Maybe that would be a massive blessing on our lives and on this church if we just connected with Him a little more, more and more and more. uh, Because there's nothing better than communion with God. Because you were never meant to be disconnected in the slightest from your Father in heaven. And through Jesus, this life is ours. This communion with the Father is ours. So let me pray for us in closing that night the case Uh, heavenly father uh, you know uh, what we were made for and how far our lives fall short of it uh, more than we do we pray that we would have a sense of that this morning uh, that you would draw us into fellowship more and more i pray for each and every one of us no matter how much we've prayed up to this point that we might just be able to pray a little more Uh, and know just a little more of your goodness today and going forward, and that you would draw us in and make our lives just uh, more and more the way they were always meant to be, and that we might know the blessing, the goodness of that, that we might also draw others in as we experience it ourselves. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.